and Variety, celebrating 115 years covering the business of entertainment. This is the Award Circuit Podcast. This film, it marks a whole chapter of my life. It's like from when my kids were tiny, they're now grown. It ushered in the end of a very long relationship, the only of my life. It's a, to put that stuff on the page, the sense of acceptance that you have to walk away, that came right from my life. I lived it. That's what this film was. And it's shocking how it's it's um, mirrored that for me. And um, it's, it's truly the most joyful thing to make this movie and the most excruciating. Making Sound of Metal was a deeply personal experience for director and co-writer Darius Martyr. I'm Clayton Davis. On this edition of the Variety Award Circuit podcast, we talked to Darius Martyr about the journey of writing Sound of Metal, including his early years, influences, and what the film symbolizes at this time in his life. Also in this episode, we interview the father, director, and co-writer Florian Zeller about adapting his own play which originally was his way of expressing his feelings regarding a painful process. But first, on the Award Circuit Roundtable, we talk WGA Award nominations, Stephen Young's hot dad status, and Janelle Riley's reaction after finally seeing Hillbilly Elegy. It's all on this latest edition of the Variety Award Circuit Podcast. Stay close. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Variety Award Circuit Podcast. I'm Clayton Davis, Film Awards Editor here at Variety, joined today with Janelle Riley. What's up? Aw, that's so positive oh. and high-spirited. <laughs> uh, Jazz Tanke. Hi. That's better. And Michael Schneider. Hey, 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 kids. Uh, Clayton, like how's the East bears. Coast? How's the snow treating you? <laughs> Today's show correspondent, Michael Schneider, you, you Sexy beast on my TV. Just caught me by surprise. <laughs> there you that that's what I do. I surprise I surprise you and all the 70-year-olds who still watch uh broadcast TV news. Yeah. <laughs> that's, I I, that's I the I, demo I heard from. It's because I DVR the Today Show every day. And then I watch what? it when Why? I because I, I go because when I go because I don't get up at seven like a monster to watch it. So I so when I go up when I go upstairs to start working. The TV's on the background. I catch up on the news. So Clayton, it's you and all the parents of my friends who who are still watching broadcast TV news. See, yeah, yeah. I own cable, and I'm <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a proud owner of cable. I like it. There you go. <laughs> uh, I have a rabbit ears that I put foil on. It really helps me get a good reception. Uh, I w- I want to start here because there's such good news that Janelle Riley's going to share with us. Janelle, did you watch a movie this weekend? <laughs> I finally watched Hillbilly Elegy. I told you I would. I said when we reunite next week, I will have an opinion on Hillbilly Elegy. And are y'all ready for this? No. Drum roll. Drum roll. She's going to say it's good. She's going to. I didn't hate it. Yeah. Yeah. I thought Glenn Close was fantastic. I think it's actually. Like this, the script has problems, but I actually think Glenn Close deserves credit and all the accolades because she's making a less than fantastic script work while a lot of her competitors are working with great scripts. People had me under the impression that it was like shot on scotch tape or something, but it looked beautiful. Um, I thought everyone in it was good. Like I actually, I don't know if enjoyed is the right word, but I like... I would say I appreciated it more than some of the big contenders this year. Mm. There you mm. go. There's the endorsement. Janelle Riley. 
Wow. We're going to see I that on posters in like a week. She's going to start hashtags. Thing. Release the Ron Howard cut. She's going to start that thing, start going around. Here's the thing. Everybody I talked to, which admittedly is only like five people, when I said like, you know, people had me convinced this was the worst movie ever. And I, I liked it. And everyone else said, yeah, me too. But they just felt like they couldn't say that because it's become such a punching bag. Yeah. Interesting. Listen, Has your I, mother seen it yet? <laughs> no, my mom is without power and she's too busy re-watching Minari over and over again. <laughs> so I don't know if she'll get to that. And then when she's <laughs> finally sick of Minari, I sent her some other Stephen Young movies that uh, she can catch up on. So it'll be a while probably before she gets nice. to that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I've enjoyed your mom's thirst for Stephen Yun. Uh, story. Oh my god, <laughs> the best thing about this year, sure. I don't know if it's like thirst, like you know, she thinks he's. Ha- I mean, I know she thinks she's handsome. She keeps calling him handsome dad, but it's really like I, I often wonder if it's about like, oh, he's a nice Asian boy, you know, like my mm-hmm. sons. But yeah. um, Adam Vary told me that I was being naive. He's like, we know what's going on here. He's a handsome yeah. man. That's good. <laughs> I mean, it's not, it's not a bad one to to thirst after. No, it's just weird. <laughs> this weekend, I yeah. I made a, a mission to plow through all the shortlist films for uh, international doc and the shorts and stuff. I'm not finished yet, but I have one one more to go in doc and like maybe two or three more to do in international. I feel well versed. Are you trying to show up that I watched Hillbilly Elegy this weekend? No, I was I was just sharing. <laughs> I was just sharing. <laughs> I, I do. I, so, I want to so, share so, the mom so, first. Yeah. Oh, so, weird, weird, hum, weird, humble brag there, Clayton. But okay. I was just, <laughs> I was just saying. I, I was, I was sharing what I had done this weekend as well, and it included Dachshund International. That's it. Right. I, 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 I like, I like my octopus teacher though. I'll say that. That's a great one. Ah, yeah. I hear a lot. Yeah, I hear a lot about that. It was one. really good. It was really, really good. Even, but I'm still not. Okay with octopuses, they're really gross. Oh, they're so but, cool. Well, they're they're aliens, right? I mean, they're they're actually they, are, they gotta be. There's no way that's that's a real. Th- they they can grow an arm back. No, that's not this world. Yeah, it's a yeah. gorgeous documentary though. If you haven't seen it, beautiful, highly highly recommend it. it, it remind- after- Good. I was gonna say after Janelle uh, talked about her mother watching Minari and lusting over Stephen Yoon. My mother said lusting. Called, I use the word lusting. <laughs> my mother-in-law called me that night and said, "What's that film?" And she knew Stephen Yoon's name. She just said M, the M film. And I'm like, Minari. And I texted her, "What is it? Mothers and Minari?" <laughs> like this is too crazy. At least she knows. Between the two of them, she knows Stephen Yoon's name, and my mom knows the name of the movie. So between the two of them, they've almost got to figure it out. out. My yeah, mom, because my mom. Is, refers to him as handsome dad <laughs> yeah. um now to get to actual stuff right like stuff that actually happened this week uh at the time of recording the writers guild have announced their nominations and they did some things nice and they did some things not so nice oh what was hmm. not so nice uh can i start with the nice can i start positive first yeah yeah start with the positive then hit us with the negative all right so uh most notable uh, original screenplay nominees include judas and the black messiah getting its first guild mention this season also palm springs yay 
along with Promising Young Women, Sound of Metal, and Trial of the Chicago 7. Needs a note here, the films that were not eligible, uh, Ammonite, The Assistant, The Climb, Farewell Amour, Herself, Mank, Minari, Ordinary Love, and Soul, and Supernova. So they were not eligible to show up here. But that's a all right little lineup. Now, why, why were they not eligible? Because Writers Guild has very strict uh, guidelines about like scripts and animated. Am, am I correct uh, in this? Uh, I'm, hopefully you guys know this. I don't think animated films are ever eligible for Writers Guild. Oh, really? Am I right? You could I'm like, be. I'm like 80% sure that that's correct. Uh, and then other people like get like it's about like you know where I think some like you know they're a member of the Writers Guild. That's why Quentin Tarantino was never nominated because he's not a member. There's like just all these stipulations and stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which Adapted, Nomadland wasn't. What? Sorry, I was going to say Nomadland wasn't. Oh well, I was either. getting to adap- adapted screenplay now. The adapted screenplay uh, we have Borat subsequent movie film that's uh, nominated. Uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, News of the World, One Night in Miami, and The White Tiger, Ramin Barani. Yeah. Uh, yep. There's a lot of support for that movie. I talked to that, so many that, people over the weekend. That, really that was like a good it. boost. That was a really good boost. Yeah. Um, the ones that were ineligible were included Blythe Spirit, uh, The Father, who Florian Zeller is our guest this week, Hope Gap, The Life Ahead, Martin Eden, Nomadland, as Jazz mentioned, The Personal History of David Copperfield, Pieces of a Woman and Radioactive. Uh, and then Doctor. Oh, oh no, 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 please. Oh, go for I, it. I just, I've always felt like, like the DGA, even if the person isn't a member, they'll still allow them to be nominated. I always feel like the WGA should be like best writer of eligible films, not counting. <laughs> the yeah, should be nominated. True. Uh, and then documentary screenplays, uh, All In, The Fight for Democracy, the, Dis- the Dissident, Herb Alpert Is, Red Penguins, and Totally Under Control. So what they did wrong, uh, I don't know if you notice, I only said one woman's name, Emerald Fennell. So, which leaves out, so you, you take into account all the ineligibles and stuff, Um we did not hear never, rarely, sometimes, always. Mm-hmm. Third most uh, critically acclaimed original screenplay of the year wasn't uh, nominated. Um, the 40-year-old version, Radha Blank. Uh, Sofia Coppola on the rocks, not mentioned. Uh, Miss Juneteenth, not mentioned. That's in the original side. And then on Adapted, uh, No First Cow, which is pretty significant. Wow. Um, also, uh, Emma, uh, Hillbilly Elegy, huh? Janelle, Janelle, uh, Shirley, and the United States versus Billy Holiday. Wow, female screenwriters that did not make the cut. Wow, so that that was just as this has become the year of the woman, I think it was just a little, uh. A little gross that just one was able to make the cut. Forgive me if you said this, but was Mank ineligible? It was Mank was ineligible. Mank was not. Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah, that's Writers Guild stuff. Um, any thoughts? Do, do, do you think that's big? So White Tiger, please uh, go on that a little bit, Janelle, because I think that's oh, really just enough. that. 
Yeah, yeah. I have been, it's a movie I like full of performances I really like, but it's been kind of a quiet contender all along the way. Um, but I keep talking to people both in the industry and completely outside who are really, really moved by it. That, um, mm. you know, and I believe our Adarsh showed up in some Critics' Choice nominations. Is that where it was? Adarsh got, uh, no, he didn't. He got, yeah, something substantial. Oh, Indie yeah, Spirit. Yeah. Indie Spirit. Oh, Indie Spirit, of course. Of course. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And he's fantastic. Um, yeah. I don't know if this is his first movie or just his first significant it role, is. but he really mm -hmm. carries this movie. He's 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 very, very good. And I was very happy to see him show up. I will think I, I think the tide turned uh after uh, uh Clayton's uh, Priyanka Chopra Jonas uh interview on Award Circuit. I, I think I, that I was the turning point. People are talking about White Tiger you. now. So Oh my god, don't insane. inflate his head anymore, please. <laughs> <laughs> uh Pri Priyanka is also, by the way, can I just say like she would be a fantastic addition to a supporting actress lineup. Like I would not scoff at it in the slightest. I mean, I do think she's like one scene shy of like the exactly the theme, yeah. yeah but she's good very in what good. she does very good yeah, yeah yeah but until we can get ellen burston in there as a lock i know i'm concerned right yeah i don't yeah. know she missed sag and golden globe it's discouraging yeah but sound of metal that was good for that film too also darius martyr guests this week and i think uh sound of metal is doing its thing very well I've um, been saying this all along. I think it's it's a stealth best picture contender. Um, everyone has seen it because it's on Amazon Prime. Everyone likes it. And Riz is just unstoppable. He's out there like as the face of the movie and, and doing so much charming work. Can I, can I say, because the greatest thing I learned last week, I moderated a Q&A with Riz. Do you know that the movie has not opened in the UK yet? So his family just keeps thinking, keeps thinking that he's lying, that he's in a movie that's getting all this Oscar oh, buzz. <laughs> it was my favorite thing I learned last week. And wow. one of my favorite uh, Riz stories is, uh, and I hope I don't butcher this, but he was on our 10 actors to watch the same year as Mahershala Ali a few years ago. And he was talking about, um, you know, when he get, goes to the airport, he always gets stopped and detained and, you know, and, and bothered essentially. And there was one time they wouldn't let him on the plane. And then he got on the plane and he, um, he turns on the little TV. They're showing the night of, he's on the cover of the in-flight magazine. And he was like, gee, even when I wasn't on the plane, I was on the plane. <laughs> oh, look at that. Oh my God. That's, that's astounding. I mean, that's tragic. I mean, that's terrible, yeah. mm -hmm. but yeah. that's, that is a great story. Yeah. Uh, and with that, uh, we have DGA voting that's starting this week. And can I just say also, uh, which now you can see with the awards calendar, when the nominations are, I'm sorry, when balloting for the Oscars starts, when voting starts, March 5th through the 10th, by then, they're, like, they're going to be flying in kind of blind in a way. Because that day, I'm sorry, March 7th will be the Critics' Choice Awards. March 8th is the PGA nominations. March 9th is Cinematographers um, and DGA nominations. And March 9th is also BAFTA nominations. And as we have learned over the years, they send in their ballots pretty early. I don't know if they're going to do that this year or not, but I wonder... 
if they're just going to like go YOLO without any type of like <laughs> guidance. Interesting. Mm. YOLO. Uh, Mike, what's on TV? What'd you watch? Give me a TV show. Give you a TV show. Um, 30 coins. <laughs> uh, I, fin- I finished Blown Away on Netflix. <laughs> I- uh, sorry, Jazz, what were you going to say? No, I was going to say I watched a documentary, but I don't know if we're allowed to talk about it. But it's oh, we are. Hard. The embargo's up today. Is it Alan versus Pharaoh? Oh. Alan v. Pharaoh. It's really good, and it is consistently fascinating to me the way that the the worst person representing Woody Allen is Woody Allen. His own words incriminate him so much. Yeah, I don't mean to laugh. It's it's not funny. It's just it's just it's it's a very good doc. I mean, the, the, the fact that the filmmaker. Sorry, Jazz. I was going to say, like, we know a lot of the stuff, or we've seen a lot of the stuff, but then seeing, like, video clips, like Janelle said, hearing Woody's voice, hearing the testimony, it's just, it's just such a great documentary, and it's by the same filmmakers that they did on the record last year with Drew Dixon and the Russell Simmons uh, story, and this was just. I don't know. A lot of people will be talking about it, for sure. And so it is that. interesting that we're we're at this time where as I I just watched finally watched the uh, uh, Britney Spears uh, documentary on on Hulu and caught up on that. That's one of the things I watched over the weekend. And yeah, it's as uh, disturbing as you'd expect. And and I know there's more coming in in the Britney world. So. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting time for for all these docs to be coming out and and sharing some truths. Um, another thing I watched this weekend, I started watching, and uh, and actually, uh, Janelle, you're your pals with uh, Brett Goldstein, right? With who? Brett Goldstein from uh, Ted Lasso. Oh yeah. My, someone else. I mean, yeah. you know, inter- internet friends, yeah. <laughs> Because uh, he's behind uh, Soulmates, uh, mm-hmm. which I, I just started watching on AMC, and love that show. That's an inch. I mean, watch that with your partner, and then have a conversation after on <laughs> how how would you handle that if if they if they managed to discover the gene uh, that that uh, found your actual soulmate, and what kind of havoc that would wreak on the world. Mm if you could actually pair legitimate soulmates with each other, like what would people do? Uh, it's a fascinating topic. And yeah. uh, it, I mean, is it comedy show. or is it drama? So it's kind of a, you know, it's, it's like everything else. It's sort of blends, blends all of it. So it's, it's definitely a conversation starter. Um, oh, I did, I did, I did watch something you guys recommended two weeks ago in and of itself. Oh yes. 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 It, was, it was so good. Yeah. Fantastic. And also, so I believe this week doesn't It's a Sin drop? Yes. Russell Davies' new series, which is fantastic about the AIDS crisis in England in the 80s. And I don't know if all the episodes drop at once or if it's five episodes over five weeks, but it is a fantastic series. I cannot wait to see that. Everybody who has seen, like, I think they did a, they had a premiere a couple of weeks ago and everybody was raving about it. Um, I did watch Prime Scene. The vanishing at, at Cecil Hotel. It gave me mm. nightmares. It mm-hmm. it was it's it yeah. that was really good. Yeah, the the weird thing that has come out of that. Have you noticed that everyone on Instagram, they're all taking photos of themselves in front of the Cecil Hotel downtown now. Like, hey, here it is. Here's where the murder happened. 
like, all right, well, I guess that's for the gram. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Mike, last question for you where we wrap up. Uh, how many more episodes of WandaVision are there? Um, I want to say like we, we've seen six, right? So are there eight or are there 10? I, I forget now. I, I think they're, we're, we're kind of coming to a cl- conclusion. Yeah. By the way, speaking of soulmates, the showrunner creator of Wonder, I don't actually know if she's the creator because Marvel, but uh, Jack Schaefer directed a movie many years ago called Timer about uh, a device that helps you find your soulmate. And Ooh. it's one of my favorite movies. It's, it's hard to find. I think you actually have to order the DVD, but I urge people to check it out. It comes full circle. Mm-hmm. Oh, but that speaking mm-hmm. of, of of WandaVision, I, I know film Twitter gets into these heated debates. TV Twitter is normally pretty calm and chill, but TV oh, you're, definitely the, you're definitely the better of us for sure. <laughs> yeah. A so much thousand percent. I will never even <laughs> contest it. A hundred percent. We did have a weird TV Twitter like sort of explosion this this past weekend though the debate over WandaVision. And I think maybe it was like more the 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 fanboy portion of TV Twitter that's up in arms over the fact that they have to wait a week for another episode oh, of WandaVision. Oh my god, you have to wait yeah. an entire week. What are you going to do with yourself? You know, that's how TV was for 60 years. You wait for <laughs> the week and then a new episode came. There there wasn't binging. You didn't drop all the episodes at once. This is the way people watched television for decades so you know calm your horses settle in enjoy it piece it out you don't need something to look forward to yeah you don't need like instant gratification all the time this is a fun one to like you know now we get a week to sort of dissect it what what is really the truth what's happening now as she expands her world what does that mean for these army soldiers uh you know how (laughs) he said expand he said expand he meant to literally (laughs) look at that yeah, that's taking literal. Oh, but I, God. I love the fact that we've had like week after week of WandaVision as opposed to it like dropping all at once and then we forget about it in a week. So I, I'd I'd argue, and this is probably the highest grades, and they're gonna probably take every card that I ever probably had in my life away. I argue that because my favorite MCU film is Infinity War. I think of the whole MCU, I think it's like my second favorite thing that they've ever done. Yeah. Is WandaVision. WandaVision is? Uh. Yeah. Like I like I think it's better than every other film that's ever been made by the MCU except for Infinity War. I'm I'm wow. loving it. I love that it came on and we're like, what is this? The of course the, yeah. the even though I think yeah. even though I feel yeah. like I figured it out and I but I, I'm giving myself way too much credit. Like I'm like I feel like I did, and then I was like, you know what, let's just see what happens and then and then we'll go. But like it is it is really, really good. It is like I said, that first episode, I was like, wait, what? Is this really it? And then after that, it's like, oh, no, this is so much better. And Tayona Paris and everything forever. Yeah, she's wonderful. The whole forever. cast yeah. is wonderful. It's so well yeah. done. I love it. And yeah. I like you said, Mike, I like that we have to wait a week. And they did that with HBO, did that with The Undoing. And it was just nice. Like You spend the whole week in that episode, going back, rewatching it, looking for the Easter eggs. Yeah. And I love that like everything is Randall Park now too, by the way. Like I even saw there's like a viral video of him doing like a a, a cipher like last week where he's just like spitting rhymes and and he's like, what can't this guy do? And and I I want I want him for the podcast. Like we have to have him like three or four times. He's too great. Um, So wonderful. Oh, here, Mike, we'll end on this question because it's gonna be great because you'll get beat up for it. WandaVision or Mandalorian? 
<laughs> Why must we choose? Oh, Why must yeah, we choose? Yeah. First, you know that, first, first season, just first season only. Yeah, yeah, you know that 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 meme of the little girl. Why not both? <laughs> I, just, I think I just have to leave it there. Why not both? All right. So who do we have this week? Uh, we got uh, you mentioned Florian Zeller from The Father and Darius Martyr, director of Sound of Metal. Because DGA voting, we get some DGA people listening in. It's going to be great. All both right, all right. Filmmakers. Well, I had both first-time filmmakers. Yes. Excellent. All right. Thanks, gang. See you, Talk to you later. It's Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. I'm Clayton Davis. It's been said that great filmmakers leave a piece of themselves in the art they create. For Sound of Metal director and co-writer Darius Martyr, the film marked an entire chapter of his life. Sound of Metal, named one of the top 10 films of the year by AFI and the National Board of Review, stars Riz Ahmed as Ruben Stone, a drummer and recovering junkie who begins to struggle with hearing loss and learns a new way of living in a deaf community. Olivia Cook plays Lou, Ruben's girlfriend and guitarist in their band Black Gammon. It's Lou who understands what's happening to Ruben and takes him to a small deaf commune in the country overseen by Joe, a Vietnam veteran played by Paul Racy, who teaches Ruben to accept his deafness. I can't hear you, do you understand me? I can't, I'm deaf! I found a place. I think it's important that you stay here with us right now, Ruben. I need you to wait for me. Okay, you're in for me, Lou. You're my heart. You're in for me. Okay, you gotta wait for me. I'm trying to save my life. Ruben, the world does keep moving. It can be a damn cruel place. But those moments of stillness, that place will never abandon you. With his brother, Abraham Martyr, and a story credit by Derek Sion France, Martyr co-wrote Sound of Metal, which is also his featured film debut. I recently spoke to Martyr on landing that cast and how the journey to making Sound of Metal included saying no to a lot of versions of the movie that he wanted to make. I started our conversation by noting that my nickname for him, Papa Darius, seems to have caught on, including with star Riz Ahmed. Well, I love it, Clayton, because, you know, it is really how it, it is. It's the deal. I mean, first of all, I've been a dad forever. (laughs) <laughs> but before I was a dad, I was a teacher going way back when I was young of kids and everything. And I think I think that role is just that's just my role. That's just my star. Yeah. I mean, everyone loves you, you know, and here you are making your first movie, uh, you know, which was no easy feat, you know, both in subject matter and you know writing with your brother god who gets along with their siblings you know oh, have you met abraham oh, <laughs> yeah, once worst. yeah he's, he's the just worst. the worst type of person no he's, he's hard to, he's hard to be around yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah no uh, tell me about uh well tell me what this feeling feels like right now for you mm. that you know premiered at tiff in 2019 you know, and then we're finally here in 2021, which, by the way, has not opened up in the UK yet. So Riz Ahmed's family thinks he's lying about being in a movie. Which is <laughs> I, know, I know everyone in the UK is so pissed, which is a nice feeling for us here. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? No, I, I wish. I mean, what a weird time. What a, You know, it's a, it's funny. It's the worst time in human history to release a movie. That's just true. There's never been a worse time. And on the other hand, and it's a crazy time for all of us humans, but 
uh, you know, I, I think the overwhelming feeling that I have, first of all, is is just actual genuine gratitude that people are seeing the film, you know, and uh, you know that that I I am with Amazon, and there's a way for people to see the film. You know, that's a huge deal. Um, man, I just can't even tell you. And you spend half your adult life making something, and then people see it. Now, it, is it is it the way I envisioned? Or of course not. You know, I thought we would be in theaters just like everything else. But that's part of this collective trauma that everybody's going through right now. Is mm -hmm. that we're that's part of it. And um, I think it means something that we're all adjusting. Yeah. Um, is there, because I was thinking about like big theaters, is there an IMAX version of this with the sound, IMAX sound quality on this movie? Cause I just imagine I would be crying, like crazy that experience. It, there is, I mean, I don't know about an IMAX, but you know, the, the experience in a really well calibrated theater is mm -hmm. a whole different experience. Yeah, and you know oh. maybe it's something maybe it's something that could happen down the down the road a bit, and and I think it will and should because it's yeah. different. It's truly a it's a wonderful and different experience and visceral, very visceral. Awesome. Um, so uh, you know, let's talk about you and getting to this place where you're working with this amazing cast, Riz Ahmed. Paul Racy, Olivia Cook, um, Chelsea Lee, you know, it's just amazing. Warren Ridloff and Matthew Amalric. I mean, my God. Yeah. What the hell? Where, 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 where'd you pluck all these up and comers from? Oh, man. I got, I mean, I just feel like the luckiest person on, on earth, you know, to work with these guys. I, it's, it's not, that's such an understatement. It, it was like, you know, I kind of dared the world to to give me a cast that I ended up with, and and part of that part of that journey was saying no to a lot of versions of the movie that weren't that, which isn't even that they were less good in other ways. They just weren't this. This mm. was a this was about this was about um, being brave. This was about life on the screen. This was about having something at stake, and this was about heart. And man, I, I tell you, going through the process with these guys, this flock, um, it's it reminds me every time I see them how much heart they all have as artists, you know, and as humans and as people. And they're like, that's what I ended up with and on set. And it, every day, it just filled me with this real joy. And, and that's really the truth. That's how I feel. That's how it felt. Yeah, I want. I want. This is gonna be probably the hardest answer for you to give. The hardest question for you to answer, and then give me. I bring it. Bring it. Um, I've interviewed many filmmakers in, in, in my life and not like, you know, thousands, I'm not like, you know, 50 years old or anything, but like, I remember a lot of instances speaking with actors about their directors and there's always a respect for them. But I, I genuinely mean this for you. When I speak to Riz, when I talk to Paul, when I talk to Olivia, it's different. There's like... I'll, it's it's more than respect. It's like like he's like he's mine. Like they own you. Like they're that they, they, you are part of their lives. Like even after this filming's over, years, decades from now, you know they will name some puppy or kid <laughs> Darius Martyr. You know, talk to me about that. You know, first day on set and you wanting to establish this relationship with 
your actors in that way? Well, that's the first thing is you don't do it the first day on set. You know, nice. That's 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 the first part of that, and that seems obvious, but it's not always. Um, you know, it's like all relationships; it, it is a relationship, and I think that that has to do with, like, really engaging with what it is to be an actor. You know, when you're when you're an actor, you give a piece of yourself. You know, that's what you do. You share a part of yourself with this with a project, and that's really the bravest. Thing to do. It's it's a it's a genuinely brave thing to do because you're giving a piece of yourself that you're not really in control of, that some other person is going to then manipulate and create this story with. And that can be a devastating process. So it's so brave. And I think that, you know, I I these guys, all of these guys, when we started to meet well before we got to set. That process of sharing in an experience of being brave, sharing in a creative process together, it, it bonds you in a way that is like family. And it and go you because you go through something together. And they, you know, I think they knew I was doing the same thing. I think they knew that this was not just a movie. This wasn't a job. This was something else. This was, mm -hmm. you know, uh, an exorcism. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah. yeah exorcism, exorcism of uh, Darius Martyr. I like it. Um, <laughs> you know, let's get to know you because obviously people are learning uh, of you for the first time. They don't know that you're you were an editor uh, before, you know, editing movies. Uh, but I want to go further back. Little Darius, before he became Papa, do you remember the movie that did it for you, that like hooked you into cinema and you were like, oh, I'm in. This is it. I had a few, but I think that the one that really did it was the drive-in of the Black Stallion. Really? You know, yeah, interestingly. You know, I, I, my ch I grew up without television. I grew up on a goat farm in a spiritual community in, in the middle of nowhere of, of like, from a very eccentric family of like New York Jews and not New York Jews, but artists and intellectuals. But then we were on the goat farm in the middle of nowhere, but, but surrounded by people from all over the world. So I had this really extraordinary experience, human experience growing up um, and not all happy, just a lot of, a lot of stuff but I didn't watch anything, even though my, my parents were artists and everything like that. But then, you know, maybe, by, I don't remember exactly how I, old I was when I saw The Black Stallion, yeah. but that just blew me away. And what's interesting about The Black Stallion is that it's a first person movie. And I have been kind of obsessed with first person stories and that kind of visceral involvement. And I went and I showed it to my kids um, and man, you know, that's an amazing film. And I could see why I responded that way, but that blew me away and never left. It never left, you were, know? Were you a, te were you a teenager? Did oh, like, no, no, no. You were I, like younger. I, dude, I'm older than that, man. <laughs> oh, really? No, oh. I, 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 um, no, I was, I was under 10. Oh, okay. um, and, you know, so it was a real formative experience. I went to maybe, I went to a handful of movies growing up, you know, I didn't see anything. So this was just like, 
just blew me away. And you know, that film is kind of shockingly brave in ways. Like you're alone with this horse and this kid forever on an island. And then all of a sudden you do a hard cut and you're back in society. So it had this like deer hunter kind of cut in it that even I remember even being that age and just being like, what the fuck was that? You know, <laughs> it was so outstanding. So that was really one. Like that was a movie at a very young age that just like really hit me hard about the power of raw, visceral cinema and storytelling. Oh, that's, uh, by the way, most unexpected answer. I'm so, that's ex exciting yeah, answer. It's um, like, so, what do you end up seeing? You know, it's just like, what do you end up seeing? Cause you, I didn't see everything, so. Yeah, uh, you know what? And I guess the great follow-up question uh, for you is when you finally, <laughs> I guess when you got to like really just run amok into cinema, uh, did you have any direction of what movies you were gonna run to first or was it just kind of like taking mm -hmm. everything you could and, uh, and watch what you could? No, it wasn't random like that. I mean, okay. it, I, I, I'd like to keep it random because you always want to be surprised. But I was really drawn in my, you know, I, I, I got really drawn early in my teens to like Jim Jarmusch and, and you know, really like a strong kind of a wild, um, you know, Cassavetes. And this was stuff that my my mom's a real cinephile and my family, you know, they this this kind of came my way with a certain amount of ease and I just kind of latched onto it. So in my teens, I was really into this, to that kind of, and I still am. I mean, who, who yeah. the hell ever gets over Cassavetes and Jim Jarmusch? Mm -hmm. um, and, then, and then when I hit my late teens, 20s, I was deeply affected by, a lot of French cinema, uh, a lot of like the discussion around transcendental cinema and Paul Schrader and this idea of restrictions. This hit me really early on about what is it in narrative when you when you don't always pimp emotion? What happens when you hold back? Can you create an actual emotional catharsis? Like I got, I got obsessed with this early. I gave myself. I didn't believe in film school. I didn't believe in babysitting. But I gave myself the most thorough education of film that I could possibly give myself. So I, I checked out everything, I analyzed everything. I was really deep into dogma and the dogma movement. What they were doing was fascinating to me. Lars and like breaking the waves just like completely changed my life. Uh, watching Emily Watson's performance was one of the absolute transformative experiences for me, just going, holy shit, that person did something just, whoa. And not just her in that movie, but her, the, the woman that plays her sister. It's like one of the most outstanding mm. performances. So I was just, I was just like, that's where I was living in those years. And, you know, throughout my twenties, I was obsessing about it and it really fired me up it, it, and writing uh, I'm making a mental note. Like, how do I get Darius Smarter to direct Emily Watson in a movie <laughs> next oh, few man, years? I should, be, I should be so lucky. I know. We're, I'm gonna make it happen. I'll text her after this. We're gonna get it. We're gonna get it, make it happen. Um, so, coming back to coming to Sound of Metal now. You know, you, you're 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 in the director's chair. You're you're finding. Uh, you know, you, you co-wrote the movie again with your with your with your brother Abraham. Also, uh, the story by Derek Cianfrance. That's a credited uh, story by on the, on the movie. Uh, when you get into the spectrum of actually making a movie now, what did you find the most difficult that you didn't know before? 
first of all, like every part of filmmaking has a difficult aspect to it. Directing, being on set and directing was flow state for me. I, I, I it wasn't difficult. It wasn't, it wasn't difficult in a certain way. It was difficult in one way because it's very kind of high functioning and sometimes you're up against problems and stuff like that. But it was, it was kind of flow for me. I, I slept even well while I was directing. You know, the, the stuff around being on set is really hard. And I would say the biggest, the, the, the biggest hurdle for me was, um, you know, I, I have this like kind of in really strong belief that you that you trust instinct with people and personnel and you surround yourself with this very specific kind of energy because this is such a living, breathing thing that we do making films. It's about the creatures that inhabit that space. And in any in instances where I didn't trust my instinct or where I, you know, I got involved with elements that weren't quite that, that that's where I really ran into some issues. Like that's my, where I was at my worst is when I saw something in the way of that energy that I was living for, you know, and, and a lot of filmmaking is you, everywhere you turn, people are saying no, you know, it's like everything you do, how about this? No, how about this? No. And it's those no's, those, those barriers that are, you know, that I'll tweak out with a nose because it has, it has to be about pulling something impossible off. It has to be this miracle every day. So, you know, coming up against those restrictions and those happen in so many different ways that th those were probably my most difficult moments. Got it. Um, so you wrap, I believe I'm correct if I'm wrong, I think you wrapped production late 2018 and then you spent about six months in post. Is that correct? Because yeah. that was with the whole sound design. Talk, walk me through that, you know, <laughs> six months in post, <laughs> oh, you know, so. staring at screens could be a lot. <laughs> Man, I love all that though. I, yeah. I do. I really love the different disciplines of filmmaking. I, and, and I was there every second of that process uh, much to the chagrin of everyone working with me. No, I'm kidding. I, 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 I really love it. But when I say I love it, like that wasn't always the flow state that directing was because it's a different discipline. Like directing is so, that's what's interesting about this kind of bipolar activity of filmmaking. Like writing is completely insular and you feel like you're going nuts, right? And then, and then casting is sporadic and out of your control, but it's also highly creative. But then there's financing and there's business. And then you're doing this thing called directing, which is highly social and alive. And it's like, you're flying. And then you go back into post and it's like, oh, ah. um, and editing, editing is, 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 you know, there's a lot of death in editing. There's a lot of like, there's a lot of killing your darlings that's yeah. happening in the editing process. And, you know, so the early stages of editing are some of the most painful stages that anybody can ever go through because you're you're looking at this thing that you know, but you're seeing you're not seeing it yet. And you have to then start scraping away. It's storytelling, it's writing again, but you're mad and crazy. Yeah, I think you told me the first cut was like four hours, right? Or like right, close to exactly. three, yeah four hours and and not it, you know? So it's like, it's not like four hours and, oh, if I could just have this, it's not there yet. You know, that's the art of editing is like, is, is focus. So that that picture part part was, was really incredible. And we did that in, in Copenhagen, New York, and then Los Angeles. So we had this very transient kind of amazing experience with Mikkel, who, by the way, if you have, have you met Mikkel yet? I have not. No, I'm dying to meet that. Yeah, I have Mikkel, a lot to Mikkel's, talk to. Mikkel's next level. He's 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 like he's like a Jedi. 
He's he's extraordinary, really. And I I had an interesting process finding an editor because I'm a scary editor. Like I'm the guy in New York that most people will say, don't have that guy come to the screening. Cause I just I, you know, I'm intense. I I mean, just just I'm yeah. intense. You you and, you see things that we won't see and then we'll address it. Right. And I'm and I will say it. If you invite me to your screening, I'm gonna bring it. So, so, you know, I needed someone that wasn't, that was going to be better than me and, and stronger than me and not allow for that. So that's how I actually searched for an editor is I, I, I tested editors after editor, after editor. And I looked for, I, I told everyone exactly how I wanted to do the process, but it wasn't how I, if, if I was editing a film, I wouldn't have let an editor or a director say that to me. So mm. I waited for someone to push back. And when I said this to Mikkel, and Mikkel actually grew up in a, in like a commune in, in, in Denmark and everything, we had this kind of similar collective spirit, but I said, here's what I want to do. And Mikkel said, no. And I was like, oh. and then he said, no, I'm going to take the film myself. And that's the only way I'm going to do it. And and I'm like, man, I'm I'm feeling this. So, <laughs> I so yeah, I hired Mickle, and best thing I ever did. And and it was a not an easy process because we're we're two you know strong headed people. But that's what you want, man. If the process is easy, you're not getting there. You want to be stretched and like really really challenged. And Mickle, man, he he's the best editor I have ever come near. He's phenomenal. So. Well, yeah. Was there ever a moment that you considered editing it yourself? No, I never, never? would. No, because I I always want to be better than me. You know, <laughs> I'm not interested in that. I don't want to, I, I want the film to be more than the sum of me. You know, it's, that's, that's the joy of this art form for me. And, and I do believe in my ability to edit, but, but, I'm not as good as Mickle, you know. I'm gonna make Mickle better, but he's gonna make me way better, you know. It's good. It's, it's fair. And then the sound, the sound, the sound is the sound is a whole other discussion. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, we have to touch on sound real quick because Nikolai is like a genius man. I've spoken with him many a time. Uh. You know. Tell me what that initial conversation was about what you wanted this to feel and sound like and what how did that come together? Well, you know, similar process with sound as it was with picture, but in a different way. I had been looking and thinking and feeling about the sound for now. By the time I met Mick, um, Nicola was eight years or something, right? So I had been, I had even done sound stuff myself on a low frequency way with picture and everything. So I had, I had been, but I was looking for this experience with another human that was gonna test me and bring me into other realms. I didn't just wanna plug and go, you know, it wasn't that project. And I, when I met Nicola, we first had a conversation and I felt it. And then I, and then we designed a process because Again, it's about relationship. Like you were saying, how do you hit set? Well, the thing is you don't just hit set, right? So I went to France and I spent some time with Nicola. The first thing we did is went into a soundless chamber where you where you're you're in in it's one of a few in the in the world. It was in Paris where you actually go in and sound just gets sucked into the ether and you feel like you can hear your tendons and your body. Yeah. And this really this really informed the sound design. Like this is what we did mm. with the sound design. Yeah. We actually, we actually, um, that's how we did it. We, we 
you know, Nicola came to set. And, and it was during that time, that was the first Nicola camp. And this was just wonderful. This was like pure, you don't want to talk about pure joy, like pure joy, which is to say, the dream, the starting to dream about this thing that you know has this potential and you know no one's heard, you know? And it's like, can you, I can't, if I, I just want that again, you know, that feeling of being with this person and you're just exploring this realm of sonic potential, holy shit, you know? <laughs> so we were doing that and we were like, you know, miking in skulls and this and that and like, what, 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 how do you, how do you get there? How do you feel? And then it became clear that, okay, I started to say, Nicola, we can't talk about sound without picture because you can't, this isn't just sound, this isn't post, this is now. So we set up a second camp now and where I invited Danielle Bouquet who shot the film. And now we did a sound and picture symposium where we spent a week together talking about how do these two languages marry? How can you actually have a point of hearing? What is a point of hearing? This is not point of view. How do we commit in the bravest, but not cockiest way, brave without ego, brave without the presence and architecture of, of the filmmaker, right? Because that's the worst thing when you're like, isn't this cool? You know, we wanted like an organic quality, a hypernaturalism. So that was crucial, that time together, sound and picture. So we already had that relationship way before shooting. So by the time we got to set, then I invited Nicola to set, which sound designers never come to set. That was huge. Nicola on set was so wonderful, you know? He was miking inside a Riz every time and everyone was like, what the hell is going on? You know, cause this was- Yeah, Riz talks great. about like him putting like a mic on his chest to hear his breathing. And oh, to yeah. get like the, like the sound of like every, like such every part of his body. Remember that soundless room where we felt that, right? Is there one of those in the United States? I totally want to go into one now. Yeah, you should. It's it's really a great experience. You have to shut off the lights, go in, which is what we did, and just be in it. It's really fascinating. Um, I don't know if there's one in, in, in the uh, United States, but I know there's one in Paris. So if it's a good excuse to get there. I mean, yeah. I mean, variety, right? Like, I need to go to Paris for something. I think you I do. I think you do. I need to report on this. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. Uh, let me let me ask you uh, another question about um, you know being being better. You want you want the film to be better than you. That's why you didn't edit. Uh, your brother Abraham uh, worked on the score of the film. Got shortlisted by the way for song for the song Green. So send send my loving congrats. That song is very very special to us, and that was a that was a terrifying thing to do in the sense that Abraham and I had worked for years and years and years and years with the singular focus of earning the silence, earning it, right? And then how do you break it? How do you break the silence? We knew, so I, I said to Abe, look, I want the, these credits to be unlike any credits that anybody's ever experienced. And look, that's a, that's a ridiculously pretentious thing to say, but this is, this is, I want those credits to feel like a scene Right, I want them to feel like, like you, you. We're leaving with Ruben in a very ambiguous place. We know what we've gone through. It's fucking hard. I want those credits to be this, this, this like healing balm, this psalm, this meditation on loss, but also on acceptance. And you're gonna write this song. <laughs> and Abe was like, please, oh my God, because that's because Abe is Abe is an outrageously talented songwriter. I mean, mm. you can't imagine. This guy is like a 
he's, he just touches the core. Mm-hmm. I knew he could do it. And, and it was a, but it was a crazy charge. And then we knew it would involve sound design. So you actually have a sonic experience through that song. And you have this like, you have this echo of sounds you've heard in the movie, the children in the deaf community, and you have the thunder that you heard at that chapter marker right before he gets to the implant. And so it has this kind of muscle memory journey to it. And it was just, it was just so cool to engage with Abe like that and, and to have it recognized means people must be feeling it, which is like, again, just the highest honor. Yeah. Good, big, good, big brother. Look, you're just like feeling proud and I am proud. I'm so yeah, proud. You should be. What people really want to know, and listen, we're in the thick of the award season. It's going to be amazing, and we can't wait. I and mean, listen, you got nominated the Critics' Choice Awards, movie nominated for Best Picture there, original screenplay, you know, Mickle and editing. You know, it's going well for you right now. But what comes next? What is Darius Martyr doing next for himself? What's our, how long? I can't wait like two or three years. So you have to kind of give me something quicker. It won't, it, well, it won't be 10 years. Okay. And, and it won't be a rom-com. <laughs> now I am, I am in a very kind of, I would say a mature phase. Nothing I do is that mature, but a mature <laughs> phase of writing uh, a project that's very intense um, and kind of a bit what you would, I don't think it's what you'd expect, but it's, it's not lacking in, in, um, in intensity, I'm very excited about it. I've been I've been waking up at five o'clock every morning so I can have my own brain to write, and I've been doing that. I would say it's the great gift of this moment again. The great gift of, if I can say there's a gift of COVID, it's it's simply that you know I I can't I am writing right now. I'm not on the road constantly, and so I'm really engaged with that, and I will be directing it soon. Good. All right. Actually, I'm sorry. I do have one last one. I, uh, but I didn't mean it, but there was one more. And this is because I want, I want that good uh, Darius takeaway passion <laughs> answer. Uh, directors often say they leave a piece of themselves inside the movie, something that they're looking to like unload, unleash. That's an unfair question. What did you unload? What, what, is, what is left in you? What did you, what were you able to let go that, we, that maybe we see or we don't see in the movie? Dude, I'm, I, you know, if you could be in my brain, I'm thinking, do I answer this? Do I really answer this? Um, you know, man, uh, that, oh, shit, it's hard for me to do this without being emotional because that's just who I, but that, that, this film, it, uh, it, it's, it's, um, it marks a whole chapter of my life. It's like from when my kids were tiny, they're now grown. It, it ushered in a, every, uh, um, the end of a very long relationship, the only of my life. It, it's, it, it's a, to put that stuff on the page, the sense of acceptance that you have to walk away, that's all, that came right from my life. I lived it, that's what this film was. And it's shocking how it, it's, it's um, mirrored that for me. And um, it's, it's truly, the most joyful thing to make this movie and the most excruciating because it's because uh, I it, when I see it and feel it every day it's like a raw pain but 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 um you know that's what it is thank you thank you for for feeling comfortable enough to share it and 
uh, pr proving the process right that yes, <laughs> directors do leave a piece of themselves. I think uh, you don't, in there, I, 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 I can't imagine you wouldn't. Yeah, but listen, your heart's in it. We feel it. Congratulations on the film. Congratulations on everything. And whenever that next project is, it's going to be a rom com. I'm going to start that rumor that it's a rom com. I think it's just cool to like let everyone think that's what it's going to be. But it's going to be great no matter what. Can't wait for the Darius Martyr rom com coming soon to a theater. Oh right. man! I, if I if I get there, if I get there, I'm I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to that. But with, with Paul with Paul Racy as the CEO of some company, <laughs> it's going to be amazing. <laughs> It's going to be incredible. I want to see it. I want to oh, see it. Oh, it's going to be so good. I can't wait. Oh, man. Uh, but thank you so much. Uh, you know, just thank you for everything, man. Oh, man. So nice to see you again. Sound of Metal is now streaming on Amazon Prime Video. From director and co-writer Florian Zeller, The Father stars Anthony Hopkins as a man dealing with a severe case of Alzheimer's disease with some stages of dementia. It's a personal story for Zeller, who was 15 when his grandmother started to suffer from dementia herself. Zeller wanted to find the humanity in a harrowing disease which led to his play. In turn, when he decided to turn it into a film, it was always with Academy Award winner Hopkins in mind. Thus, he partnered with Oscar-winning screenwriter of Dangerous Liaisons, Christopher Hampton, and began writing the film in English to go out to Hopkins to pitch the movie. Ultimately, the film landed at Hopkins' desk, as well as a talented cast that includes Olivia Coleman, Imogen Poots, Rufus Swell, and Olivia Williams. I recently spoke with Zeller about the film, which just scored four Golden Globe nominations, including Best Motion Picture Drama. We started by discussing the accolades that the father has received. It's so exciting. It's a lot of joy. but And this joy is even more meaningful in these uh, strange times, because, you know, there is a frustration in a way, you know. Because to make a film, it's so much heart, so much energy, so much dreams, you know, and and to release a first film uh, in this time, you know, it, 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 sometimes it's a bit frustrating. So on the other hand, you have the joy uh, and, and the energy that comes with it. I mean, do you feel a little bit of, a, I don't know if it's like God's cruel joke or serendipity, your first movie you get to direct with Anthony Hopkins and Jodie Foster, opens up in a pandemic year and you're just fighting to like get it seen because there are no movie theaters open right now. Yeah, but you know, this is reality. So we all have to deal with reality. You know, I'm not the only one to have a difficult moment, you know, so I, I, I'm not in a position where I should complain. You know, I think that we all have to make that effort to take what is, you know, what you can take as a good element, you know, and it's an effort for everyone every day, I would say, but uh, you know, to, to have this opportunity to make a film is, in itself, it's a gift, you know, and I'm aware of that, you know, it could have, there are so many things that could be in the same room to make it happen. Uh, it's, it's not easy. Uh, so that's great when a film is done. Uh, and of course, I would have loved to, to do it in a normal year, but you know, like everyone. So uh, I always love to educate the public on, you know, all my guests, you know, so this is your first movie. Uh, and you adapted your own play. Uh, how did the play come to be? How did you end up writing this? Uh, and how long ago did the play make its premiere uh, on stage? So, so it's a play that was called The Father as well. It was a French play because I'm French, as you can hear. 
And uh, I wrote- What? <laughs> You're <Yeah>. French. <laughs> I'm sorry. For that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. uh, um, I wrote it eight years ago in, in, in 12. And uh, at the very beginning, I guess, it was like a personal way to express something I knew because, uh, you know, I've been raised by my grandmother and she was almost like my mother. And she started to suffer from dementia when I was 15. So I knew a bit what it was to go through this uh, painful process and to to discover that sometimes you could be, you know, impotent. You can love someone, but love is not enough. So I knew this a bit, but I also knew that, uh, you know, it's everyone is concerned by this kind of issue. You know, everyone had a grandmother or a father. Uh, so it, it was not about trying to, to tell my own story. You know, it, it, in my view, it was not enough. You know, it, it was more because I knew that everyone can be related to this kind of fear or, of, or issue. You know, everyone has or will have to deal with, you know, this uh, situation when you have to, 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 you know, or this dilemma, you know, what do you do with the people you love when they are starting to lose their bearings? Because the father is about, so a man losing his bearings. And what happened is that when the play was on stage in Paris, I was really uh, moved and surprised to discover that the response of the audience was really strong and was uh, almost specific, meaning that people were waiting for us after every performance, not to say a congratulation, but to, to tell their own story and to share their own story. And it was really powerful in a way. And I realized that there was something cathartic about it, you know, just to remind or to remember that we are all facing the same kind of emotions or fears, that we are all in the same boat in a way. And, and, and I think that cinema is here to make you feel that you're part of something bigger than yourselves. No, we are not just individuals. We are, you know, there, there is something about mm, brotherhood, you know, uh, that the cinema can underline. And I think that this is when I made the decision to to make that film because uh you know to 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 share those emotions and I'm, I'm really glad you said you said that part about cinema because cinema has in many ways and i i've said this publicly it saved our lives during this pandemic you know where we're where we were locked in and all we had were you know things that we could watch at home whether you were watching streaming platforms or you had your collection of movies like i do and you were just trying to get through some 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 stuff, or you were like maybe discovering things you ne- never uh, found before. The father, uh, you know, admittedly, you know, because I'm a stupid American, I never heard of the father, you know, prior to like hearing that Anthony Hopkins was going to star in a, in a movie, you know, and it premiered at the Sundance Film Festival. And cinema really connects. It's a language that connects us all because it, it was a French play, got made into an American movie. At what point did, how did the journey start on make on, you know, because when you see the reaction, you're like, okay, this can be a movie. How, where did you start? Because I, 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 you know, I'd be like, oh, I want to make a movie. And then you just kind of stand there. Did Anthony Hopkins just come to your house at that point? No, I started, <laughs> with, so with the play and the fact that, the you know, the, the play traveled a lot itself, you know, it was done in, in many countries. And I realized that, again, the, 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 the response of the audience was the same everywhere despite all the, the cultural differences and and um so i started to dream about making that film and and when i started because everything starts with a dream and in that dream uh you know the the one and only face that came to my mind was anthony hopkins face and so i started to write uh, with christopher in english uh 
because I wanted to go to him and because I had this obsession and this conviction and this adoration for him. Yeah. Did you did you guys did you guys know each other? You knew him? No, before? no, not at all. No, it, oh, it was just pure fantasy. <laughs> and also I was aware that it was not an easy dream to fulfill, but yeah. you know, uh, until someone comes and, and proves you that it is not possible, it means that somewhere, potentially, it is. And so I, I this time I, I made the decision to to follow my instinct, my instinct and my desire, because this is what is the strongest, you know, your desire. And also the conviction, because somewhere I knew that he would be, you know, uh, extraordinary in it. And, and and so one day I just sent the script to his agent um, and I waited a bit. And, and and one day I received a call of someone I didn't know, the, the I didn't recognize the, the, the number. And it was someone, his agent, letting me know that he wanted to meet with me. So I took a plane. To Los Angeles to have breakfast with him, and 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 this is how it started, you know, and uh, from this point on, it was such uh, an intense and joyful process because he is such a nice man, yeah, and, and he, he was absolutely generous to the to the to the film, meaning, meaning that he gave everything, as far as I know, to this part, you know, because it, it was not that easy. I mean, I, I'm really. Um, grateful of course but also uh aware that he he it was a courageous choice in a way because I, I didn't came to him to do what he's known for you know he was supposed to do something else or to dare going into new places or to explore new emotional territories and it was about letting everything go to be to go to this very fragile or vulnerable place and this is not an easy thing to do because he had to deal in a way with his own personal uh, feeling of mortality, yeah. and, uh, and 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 he did it in a in a very very uh, generous way. Now you know that we've gotten a, a a little taste of a Florian Zeller movie. Have you fallen in love with cinema in the way of like I want to make some more movies now? I, I'm sure you have a bunch of plays that uh, can get adapted, or you're, are you looking for some original stories yourself? Now, the thing is that, yeah, it was such an intense uh, journey for me uh, that I can't wait to to go on, yeah. I mean, uh, it's it was like a... I mean, it was the best experience of my life. And, and not only the shooting, but everything before also to prepare that film. Because a lot about that film was uh, took place during the preparation because, you know, it was... First of all, it was the adaptation of a play into a film. And so I really love the process of thinking how to make it cinematic and not theatrical. And so we kept the, narr the, the narrative of the play, which was basically to try to tell the story from the inside and to put the audience in a unique position, um, let's say, you know, as if the audience were in the labyrinth, trying to figure it out, trying to understand what is going on and that scene, is it before or after? And that character, who is he exactly? In order to play with the feeling of disorientation because I wanted the audience to experience a slight uh, experience what it could mean to lose your own bearings. You know, in a way, I wanted the father to be not only a story, but almost an experience. You know, and and this is something that I loved thinking about and to try to find visual ways to to express that and to to play with the the, the disorientation. And for example, I remember when I wrote the script, I I, I drew I draw the layout of the apartment. And as if this apartment was one of the main character of the story, 
And because I made the decision to stay in the apartment throughout the film. You know, when you start dreaming about adapting a play into a film, the first ideas you have or the first advices you get is always, you know, to write new scenes, yeah, out yeah. Doors, to make it, you know, more bigger. Simple. Yeah. And, and most of the time, that's, that's, that's the decision that should be made. But here, in this particular film, I made a decision to keep, to stay in this apartment so that that space could become like a mental space and it could i could use it cinematically to to create that experience i was looking for meaning that at the beginning of the story we are in anthony's apartment and there is no doubt about it you you recognize his space his knickknacks his uh, pieces of furniture and step by step always in the background you have those small changes small metamorphosis on set, you know, some pieces of furniture are disappearing and sometimes we change the, the color or the proportion of the apartment so that you, you recognize the space, you know, you know where you are and you recognize the way to travel into it. But at the same time, something has changed and you can't, you can't tell exactly what happened, but something had happened. So it's, yeah. it was just about creating that feeling of disorientation without being too obvious or too explicative uh, and, and, and to try to be as subtle as possible to transform that set into like a labyrinth that was supposed to be his mental labyrinth, you know, and, yeah. and try to travel into it. I'm sorry, man, so it's so long. <laughs> no, 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 please. No, no, you always can talk as much as you, as much as you like, but I think great that what you described is that tension, because the movie, and I feel in a lot of ways, plays like a horror movie and like in many ways, like as I'm going through, like I I get so, I it's an American term. Like I get a lot of agita. Like I get a lot of like just like I get a lot of anxiety going through the movie because I'm like, what is like what is happening? Like I, I like I am just as just like out of it as Anthony is, and that's a big testament, by the way, to your editor, uh, Yorgos, who cuts the movie because there's there's elements. Uh, this is a very kind of weird comparison. Um, but the film kind of feels like I don't know if you uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Yeah, like sorry. that. Yeah, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is is uh, also disorienting in that way that like you feel as things are removed, you're being removed from things, and and there's a, a lot of elements to that, and I think it's one of the great successes of the of the film. Uh, well, one last one last question for you, and I think as we uh you know learn about the the history of, of everything here with the film you know there were a lot of there were a lot of considerations you could have made in in the acting spaces especially with uh actors that you previously worked with like frank langella was there ever any um thoughts of of using any of your previous actors because anthony obviously you didn't work with before but was there any consideration of working with any of the ones that had portrayed the lead character um, in the play version? No, because, uh, you know, um, I, really, I really wanted to make that film, you know, and not another film. And also, um, Frank Angela, he was amazing on stage, but I was not the director. And I think that is not absolutely honest, you know, to shoot a film with a team that has already worked with someone else, you know, it, 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 it would have been, you know, taking the, the work of someone else. And, and, and to me also, because it was my film, and especially my first Fisher film, it was important to, you know, to start from the very beginning. I think it was important. Uh, and this is something that Anthony gave me, and I'm really grateful to him. 
this opportunity to do exactly the film I, wa I was I wanted to to make. You know, every shot, every frame was what I was looking for, and he gave it all. You know, he was never trying to. Um, I mean, he followed me all the time with such a generosity. That's Florian Zeller, director and co-writer of The Father, which goes into limited theatrical release on February 26th and then hits video on demand on March 26th. And that's it for this edition of Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. Jamie Abraham edited this episode and Michael Schneider is the producer. Be sure to subscribe to the Award Circuit Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download podcasts. Also, Head to Variety.com and click on the Award Circuit tab to find the latest Oscar predictions and key races, as well as your daily fix of news, analysis, and reviews. For Jazz Tanke, Janelle Riley, and Michael Schneider, I'm Clayton Davis. We'll see you on the circuit. Oh.